It is said of uh, Martin Luther that any time he would get news of trouble, have trouble in his life, that he would say, let's sing the 46th Psalm. Let's take a look together today at the 46th Psalm and see what it has to say to us. In Psalm, the 46th Psalm, in verse 1, it says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams made glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Father, I'm so grateful today that uh, you're with us. And Father, today for this congregation, for this community, Father, my, my heart's desire is that they would know you, love you, be in relationship with you, and know that you are all around them all the time. In our darkest hours, you are there. In our greatest celebrations, you are there. Let us not forget you, Lord. Let none of us be angry about things that happened to us on this earth, this fallen, broken world. But let us look to the one who is our answer and our hope and our strength with joy, even in our darkest sorrows. Today, Lord, teach us to turn our ear to you, to listen sincerely for your voice, and to want nothing else but your will. Father, touch us today and let us grow in you, being mature in faith and full of your spirit. Father, let us be a people who are walking maturity of, your, of the knowledge of you and the power of your presence. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God is omnipresent. What that means, very simply, is that he is everywhere all the time. Everywhere all the time. This speaks to one of the great revelations of God that really makes it impossible for us to understand him. At the farthest places of the universe, where telescopes cannot yet see, he is there. In the secluded village in Central America, he is there. In the huge teeming cities of India, 
He is there, intimately there, not just overseeing, not just simply seeing, but knowing the count of the hair on every head with each person and a witness to each event. He is here tonight with you and with me, and when we go home, he goes home with us. He's already there before we get there. He's there with us while we go there. He's here with us. We can't dodge him. We can't sneak out on him. We can't go someplace and him not catch it. Oh, he'll never be surprised. God is there. He's here with each one of us, aware, not missing one detail, more intimately knowledgeable than your closest friend, and he loves us still. Each life is of value and importance to him. He died for each person. His blood was shed for every one of us. He has a plan. Listen, he has a plan for each life, and it comes down to us hearing and obeying. When we veer from it, he walks with us, even as he calls us back to his plan for us. God has a plan for the hungry of the world. God has a plan for the homeless of the world. God has a plan for the loss of the world. And when people listen, the answer begins to come. People begin to get fed. People begin to be saved. Things begin to happen when people listen to God. God has a plan for the lost, and when we listen, he uses us to draw them to him just as God used other people to draw you to him. He wants to use us, and he moves to heal their brokenness just as he moves to heal our brokenness. God has a plan for you and for me, and when we listen, we do better in life and our life becomes vital, purposeful, filled with eternal value. See, it's not just like God to just, to just swoop down on the big decisions, to just show up for the big ones. But God is in the little day-by-day decisions that get us in the right position for the big decisions. This is where we miss it. We keep waiting for God to show up in some great revelation. God is in the details that get us in a place so that the revelation is sure. When I was a a young teenager, and I've told the story many times of the first time that I was going to be sharing in a service, a, a testimony in a service, that God spoke to me and gave me a word, sitting down in the basement of the Oasis building, waiting for service that night, all alone in a room. And for the first time in my life, God spoke to me and gave me a word to share that night. And I went up, fear and trembling, and shared that word. And I knew in that moment that from that day forward, I would always want his word when it was my time to share it. And it began a process 
for the big decision in life. What is my life called to do? What am I supposed to become? What am I supposed to do with this life? A little decision, a little obedience, a little moment that began to set me on a course for a big decision and lead me in a big decision. A decision to become a pastor and a teacher and to say, yes, this is what I'm supposed to do in my life. That didn't come in just a day when I was just kind of walking down the street, oblivious to everything, not obeying God, not listening to God, but it came because of a series of listening to God that when the day came and the calling was there and the revelation was there, it was an easy choice, an easy moment. Told the story many times that even before I was saved before I understood salvation, sitting in a classroom at the Blackhawk School when our church was very, very young, earned my first bit of money, and God spoke to me in that, in that moment as the, it was time for the offering and said to me, today I want it all. Give everything today. About a nine, ten-year-old little boy sitting in a room with a dollar seventy-five, I remember how much was in my pocket. A dollar seventy-five was a lot of money to me, and God said, "Today I want it all." That set me on a course of feeling and knowing His pleasure in giving, and feeling and sensing His blessing in giving, and putting my trust and my faith in Him in giving, realizing that giving was better than anything I could buy for myself, and knowing that the pleasure of God was there in it that let me learn to trust him and grow in him in the bigger decisions in life and started me down a pathway of giving in many, many other ways. So when the time came in big decisions about giving, it, they were easy decisions because God began to talk to me in small ways. In small ways. When I was a boy Became interested in girls and started dating girls. I got some terrible advice. I mean, just absolutely terrible advice from godly people. Told me the wrong things. Led me the wrong direction. And as I got older and was trying to figure out how does all this work and who am I supposed to marry? I wandered in the confusion of that for several years. I was wandering in the confusion of it. Didn't know what to make of it. Until I finally had to come to a point where I said, I'm shutting everybody else's advice down. I'm not going to listen to what anybody's saying anymore. I'm just going to try to pray my way through this. I knew something was wrong because I had no clarity. And it took that moment of sweeping what everybody else was saying in my life. I mean, I had people tell me, you should marry this girl, you should marry that girl, you should do this, you should date this person, you should... I mean, I, I, I could tell you some... I, I, I literally had a guy take me... I'll tell you one story. Had a guy take me out to lunch. And, and uh, we're sitting at lunch. This is an older man, Christian man, respected Christian man who's gone home to be with Jesus and... I'm sure his reward has been great. But sitting at, the, at that table this day, he looks at me, and he names uh, a prominent Christian family in, in, a, in a prominent movement, uh, a Christian movement. 
and he says to me in this setting, uh, listen, they have a daughter that's about your age. I know them well. I can get you together with her and think if the two of you get married, with all of your family that's in ministry and all their family that's in ministry, think of what could happen. And I'm sitting there going, I, I don't know what could happen. <laughs> what, could, what could happen because I married somebody that couldn't happen just because God wanted it to happen? It was confusing. And sometimes, friends, we give advice that's not biblical. It's confusing. It's confusing. And so sometimes we've got to clear out all the confusion and hear what God is saying to us. So our call is to pay attention to his voice, to hear his voice, and to obey his voice. To get the confusion on what the world would say to us, uh, what our flesh would say to us. And sometimes, like Jesus we have to get what other well-meaning people would say to us out of the picture. Jesus knew his destiny. He was aware of what he was supposed to do with his life, and when Peter spoke against it, Jesus spoke against Peter. When Peter spoke to it, Jesus blessed Peter. Got to clear it all out and hear it. So here's our, our question. What is our motivation for wanting to hear the voice of God in our life? And there are a multitude of reasons, but here are the two simplest ones. I want to hear his voice because he loves me. He wants the very best for me. I want to hear his voice because his plans are better than my plans. I want his will and his voice because his will is better than anybody else's will. I want to hear his voice. And I want to hear his voice because I love him and I want to be pleasing to him. I want to live a life pleasing to him. Listen, hearing the voice of God doesn't guarantee a simple life. It, it probably guarantees a challenging life. A life where faith is required. A life where things can be difficult sometimes. But a life where God is with you. We don't try to listen to God's voice because we're going to get something out of it. We listen to God's voice so we can be something, become something. So we, we've talked about the filters the last couple of weeks. One, is this a prompting truly from God? And if you missed last Wednesday, you need to get that CD and listen to it. It talks really in depth about what that means. Is the voice scriptural? Is it wise? Is it in tune with my own character and wiring? And what do, what do the people I think that I, I, I most trust think about it? That's a big one right there, the people I most trust. See, as you look at number two, is the voice scriptural? There has to be a standard in our life if we're going to truly hear the voice of God that brings clarity to us, that, that puts us in clear, clear pictures of what is right and what is wrong. It's not just because, if not, it just becomes about something we feel or something 
or something that we want, and that's dangerous. It's not simply about what we feel. I can feel wrong. My feelings can lie to me. My feelings can deceive me. My feelings can undermine me. It can't be about what I, simply what I want. My wants can lead me the wrong direction. My wants can lead me to... I've seen a lot of people marry the person they want, and it was wrong. And a year, two years, five years later, they know it's wrong. I've seen people take jobs because they wanted the job, and it wasn't in their calling, in their purpose, and it, was a, it ends up being a mess. It can't be simply about what I want. It's got to be about what, what the basis of truth is. And what, that's why we have to know the Word. That is why the Word has to be our standard for faith and conduct. Does this match the Word? Is this where the Word would send me? Is this what the Word would have me to do? It's why we need to look with humility to the word for revelation, with dependence upon God for revelation. First, in the issues of life, we look to the word to speak to us. The things that come up in our life every day, the issues that we're faced with. What does your word say about these kind of issues and these kind of things? In the values of life, we look to the word to speak to us. What should be the most important thing? We live in a society today where sports becomes, in some people's lives, the most important thing. Money becomes the most important thing. Pleasure becomes the most important thing. And all of those things and others speak to our flesh. But we have to look at the values of God's Word and say, what should be in first place in my life? In the attitudes of life, we look to God to speak to us. What kind of attitude do you want? you want me to walk in fear? Do you want me to walk in faith? Do you want me to walk in insecurity? Or do you want me to walk in boldness? How do you want me to live my life in the midst of these circumstances? Broken or full of hope? The attitudes of my life need to be informed by the Word of God. And in the decisions of life, we need to look to, the, to God to speak to us in every decision of life. How do we do that? Well, first of all, I would tell you that, that to learn how to use your Bible like a tool that it is for us is important. So, you're dealing with an issue like peace. You're dealing with an issue like who do I love and what do I love or joy. We take the Word and we, t we, we do a, you can do a Word study through the Word, a topical study. What does God say about peace? What does God say about joy? What does God say about these things in life? And I want to, if I'm, if I'm struggling that, I want to hear everything God says about it so I can know what He is and isn't saying to me so I can hear him intimately in my life. We are so blessed to live in a generation where you can get a Bible today that has a concordance in it. You can go and get a, uh, on, your, on, your, on, your, 
on a laptop or on a, on a computer, or you can go to the bookstore, and you can get uh, uh, books that, gives, that, that, that every word in the Bible is listed in it and, and, and where they're found. And you can go right into those places and look at love or look at joy and look up every scripture that God ever says anything about him in. And you can look at those and say, God, what are you saying to me? That's one of the ways we get a foundation laid in our life so that when God wants to speak to us about joy, so many times when he speaks to us, you know how he speaks to us? Through his word. His word, he reminds us, as, we, as we've been talking about on Sunday morning, he reminds us of his word, and he gives us a scripture to hold on to. We do doctrinal studies. Take time to, what is, what is God's, what's God's doctrine about money? How does God, how, do, how does God and, how, and us, how, how does it relate to money? How does it relate to race relationships? How does it relate to purpose and life? And we begin to build a foundation of truth in our life, and it's on that foundation that God can speak to us in the little ways that lead us to the big ways. And we need to have daily openness. Daily openness is uh, when we take time to, to read a passage of Scripture and then set it down and think about it, reflect on it. What did I just read? What's God saying? What was going on? Why is that passage important to be in the Bible for today. What would God say to us out of that passage today? And it's in that moment that we ask the very simple question, God, what are you teaching me today? Today, what are you showing me about my life, about my nature? See, we want, we want God to show us some big revelation, you know, go, go stand in front of the governor's mansion and proclaim something or do some of this. And what God's really doing is he's incrementally speaking to us and changing us to put us in the places of life where our voice can weigh in the way he wants it to weigh out. To give us the opportunity that he wants to give us and to put us in those places. With that, I've got to listen to teaching. I, I want to listen. I, you know, I, 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 you know I, I carry CDs around in my car, and I'm going any distance. I put these CDs in, and I'm, I'm listening to what other teachers are saying. I want to listen. I want to grow. I want to hear how they're seeing things, what God's saying to them. And I'm remembering all the time. Listen, when you read a book, remember, it's not a Bible. It's not a Bible. I'm not building my life on some book. I'm building my life on the book. When I listen to a preacher preach, I'm not getting up in his charisma. I'm not getting up uh, uh, about his cleverness. I'm listening for what is God saying in this. It's easier when he's got a little charisma. It's easier when he's, when he's got some good communication skill. But what I'm looking for is I'm looking for the depth of what he's saying. I'll, I'll tell you a, a quick story. There was a, 
a man my dad had in, this man had been a, a great man of God. And, and he had a real revelation about one topic. And my dad asked him to come. He was, by this time, the man was in his 80s. And my dad asked him to come and speak on this topic. And uh, he got there that Sunday. I'm, I'm a young minister, and, and I'd read a book to him that he'd written. And uh, he, he, was, he, he was cold. He had bronchitis or something. And he, 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 was, he was coughing. He, he, he wasn't feeling very well. Uh, it was hard for him. His voice was kind of raspy. It was hard for him to communicate. And yet, I had read a couple of his books, and I wanted to hear what he had to say. I remember sitting there, just hanging on every word, trying to learn from this old man of God. I mean, you want to get around old men of God. I mean, guys who've lived it for 60, 70 years. Lived it. Not that just discovered it two weeks ago. Lived it for 60, 70 years. Have the fruit behind their life. That's the guys I want to, I want to listen to those guys. I want to hear them. I don't dismiss them because they're 80 I want to listen to them all the more because they're 80, and they've lived it for 60 years. And that's what this guy was. I'm, I'm sitting there, I'm listening, and what he said, it, through the coughs and the raspiness, it was dynamic. And I had two or three people come to me after that service that day. This has been years and years ago. Say to me, well, your, past dad, your dad missed it with that guy. He sure didn't have it, did he? And I thought, no, he had it. You missed it because you did, couldn't get through the fact that he had a little raspiness in his voice and he's coughing a little bit. He's got it. Don't, don't think that because somebody's charismatic they've got it. Don't think because they're clever they've got it. Listen. I was with a, I'll, I'll tell you the flip side of that story. We were at a youth camp. There's a guy that, that, that was really well known. He, he has since uh, literally fallen from faith in a very tragic tragic way uh, but he was very popular on the youth circuit at the time when I was a youth pastor very popular a lot of, he was doing a lot of camps a lot of conventions people loved him and 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 I'd, I'd heard him three or four times and I was just troubled and I didn't know why I couldn't figure out why he was it, it was fun to listen to him but I was troubled and we're at a youth camp he was speaking at the youth camp and one of our uh one of the teenagers came up to me afterwards, one of our kids from our group, and, and he said to me, wow, wasn't that a great night tonight? He was fantastic. Pastor, you, Mark, you've got to get him to come to our youth group. You need to get him to come to, to, come to Oasis. And just without thought, I didn't even think about it. I just, just I don't know, where, other than God just kind of led me, I just looked at the kid and I said, what did he say tonight? What did he say? And the kid looked at me for a minute, and he said, well, he told this story. That was really funny. And I said, yeah, that, that was a funny story. But what did he say? Well, he told this story, and that was really entertaining. I said, yeah, what did he say? And I asked that about three times. And finally the kid looked at me and said, well, I guess he really didn't say anything, did he? He's funny. He could make you cry. He, was, he could communicate and hold your attention. And I didn't figure it out to that very moment, standing in the back of that, of that camp, ground room he's not saying anything he's just making us laugh and so I looked at him and I said I don't think I'm going to be inviting him 
Sometimes you gotta, you got to dig down deeper into it and say, what's being said here? We've got to be mature believers. What does this person say? And then not only do they have a clever argument, is it biblically sound? Is it, does it match with Scripture? So here's one of the warnings. Anytime you read a book, remember this. You're reading a book on faith. This guy's had to come up with something clever to say or he wouldn't be able to write a book. The question isn't how entertaining is it. The question is how scriptural is it? Have you ever been reading a book and it just gives a scriptural, you know, Isaiah 28.3. And then it gives some explanation about what it says. And then you go look up Isaiah 28.3 and you can't figure out how in the world that guy get that out of that. I don't see that anywhere in here. You know, you've, got to, you've got to be aware you just got to be aware. I want the Scripture. I'm not, I'm not trying to make you be, be cynical. I, I want you to be aware so we don't go down the wrong voice. Is this good? I want, I want there to be some maturity. So when you're listening to preaching and, and teaching, and that's why you hear me say, listen, if, if you get up, I can't defend it with the Word. I can't show you in the Word. You know, just say, hey, Pastor, I had a bad day today. I say that all the time because I... You don't want to follow me. I don't want you to follow me. I want you to follow me as I follow Christ. If I'm following Christ, come follow me. If I veer from him, if I go a different direction, if I start making up stuff on my own because it feels good to me in that moment, just forget it and pray for him. Say, Pastor, Lord, get Pastor back in line. Get him back in line. So does the word match, match Scripture? Does it redirect me to biblical victory? What is the trajectory of this decision? If I live like this, would things be better? If the world lived like this, would things be better? If I live like this, will my, will my husband and wife have more peace and joy? Does it bring the fruit of the Spirit? What happens? So I've got to let the Word be my guide. Now I'm going to, I'm going to read out of Numbers today uh, an extended passage because it tells the story uh, in, a, in, a, in a better way than I could tell it uh, by just trying to expound on it because it tells the story in fullness. Some just give you a little hint and you, you have to go find different passages, different places, and you get the fullness of the story. This one just tells the full story. So uh, read along with me as, as I read. It says, And the people of Israel set out and camped in the plains of Moab beyond the Jordan at Jericho. And Balak, the son of Zippor, saw that the Israel had, do, had done to the Amorites. And Moab was in great dread of the people because they were many. Moab was overcome with fear of the people of Israel and Moab said to the elders of Midian, The horde will now lick up all that is around us as an ox licks up the grass of the field. So Balak, the son of Zippor, who was king of Moab at the time, sent messengers to Balaam, the son of Beor, at Pathor, which is near the river uh, in the land of the people of Anwah, An Anah, to call him, saying, Behold, the people has come out of Egypt. They cover the face of the earth, and they are dwelling opposite me. Come now, curse this people for me, 
since they are too, min- too mighty for me. Pe- perhaps I shall be able to defeat them and drive them from the land. And I know that whom you, whom you bless is blessed, and he whom, whom you curse is cursed. He knew something about Balaam. So the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed with the, with the fees for divination in their hand, and they came to Balaam and gave him Balak's message. And he said to them, Lodge here tonight, and I will bring back word to you as the Lord speaks to me. So the princes of Moab stayed, until, uh, stayed with Balaam, and God came to Balaam and said, Who are these men with you? And Balaam said to God, uh, Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, uh, has sent to me, saying, Behold, the people has come out of Egypt, and it covers the face of the earth. Now come curse them for me. Perhaps I shall be able to fight against them and drive them out. God said to Balaam, God's talking to him, You shall not go with them. You shall not curse the people, for they are blessed. So Balaam rose in the morning and said to the princes of Balaam, Go to your own land, for the Lord has refused to let me go with you. So the princes of Moab rose and went to Balak and said, Balaam refuses to come to us. Once again, Balak said, Prince, this is how the enemy works. You say no the first time, he doesn't take no for an answer. And they didn't take no for an answer. So Balak sent princes more in number and more honorable than these. And they came to Balaam and said to him, Thus says Balak, the son of Zippor, uh, Let nothing hinder you from coming to me, for surely, uh, for I, I will surely do you great honor, and what, whatever you say to me I will do, come curse this people. So he's beginning to tempt him. I'm going to give you a bunch of stuff. I'm going to honor you. You're going to have this great position. Come curse this people for me. Balaam answered and said, to the servants of Balak, though Balak were to give me his, his house full of silver and gold, I could not go beyond the, the command of the Lord my God to do less or more. So you too, please stay here at night so that I may know that the Lord will say to me. And God said to Balaam at night, he said to him, if these men, if the men have come to call you, rise, go with them, but only do what I tell you. So Balaam rose in the morning and saddled his donkey and went with the princes of Moab. God had already told him no. God had already told him no. And he's ignored it. He's come back and asked again. And God said, okay, go ahead. Just, tell, just say what I tell you to say, but go ahead. But God's anger was kindled because he went. He'd been told no. He got an answer. God's anger was kindled because he went. And the angel of the Lord took his stand in the way as an adversary. Now as he was riding on the donkey and his, and his two servants were with him, and the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand, and the donkey turned aside out of the road and went into the field, and Balaam struck the donkey to turn her into the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path between the vineyards with a wall on either side. And when the, when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pushed against the wall and pressed Balaam's foot against the wall. So he struck her again. God will let some things happen in your life to, to veer you off of that path, and they won't always be pleasant. And when the donkey of the, of the, saw the angel of the Lord, she pushed against the wall and pressed Balaam's foot, so he struck her again. 
Then the angel of the Lord went ahead and stood in a narrow place where there was no way to turn either the right or the left. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down under Balaam. And Balaam's anger was kindled, and he struck the donkey with his staff. Then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey. Sometimes God opens the mouth of the trouble for us. And she said to Balaam, what have I done to you that you've struck me these three times? Now this is amazing, because Balaam doesn't stand in awe that the donkey's caught talking to him. I, you know, I think I'd pass out. But Balaam's caught up in this moment. He's caught up in the, in the second. And uh, Balaam said to the donkey, because you made a fool of me, and I wish I had a sword in my hand, for then I would kill you. That's what we do. We, we'd want to destroy the things that's trying to protect us. People come to us. Things happen. They're trying to protect us from doing what we shouldn't do, and we get mad at them and want to kill them. We want to get them out, get their voice out of our life. It's part of the deceitfulness of the flesh. And the donkey said to Balaam, Am I not your donkey, on which you have ridden all your life long to this day? Is it my habit to treat you this way? Balaam said, Well, no. You know, you've got to ask sometimes when people are telling you something you don't want to hear, why would they be telling me this? Instead of getting mad or angry, none of your business, why would this person be saying this to me? Is this their, is this their nature to butt into my business? Or could they possibly be telling me something I need to hear? I said, no. Then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam. He saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his, sword, with, a, with his drawn sword in his hand. And he bowed down and fell on his face. And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why have you strunk your donkey these three times? Behold, I have come out to oppose you because your, your way is perverse before me. Then the donkey saw and turned aside before me these three times. Saw me and turned beside me. She had not turned aside from me, surely, just now. I would have killed you and let her live. Then Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned, for I, do not, I did not know that, that, I, that you stood in the road against me. Now, therefore, if it is evil in your sight, I will turn back. And now the angel of the Lord says to him, Okay, go with these men, but speak only the word I tell you. So Balaam went with the princes of Balak. When Balak heard that Balaam had come, he went out to meet him at the city of Moab on the border formed by the, by the Arnon and at, the, at the extremity of the, of the border. And Balak said to Balaam, did I not send to you to call, and call, did I not send to you to call you? Why did you not come to me? Am I not able to honor you? Balaam said to Balak, behold, I have come to you. Have I now any power of my own to speak anything? The word, of God, the word God puts in my mouth that I must speak. Then Balaam went with Balak, and they came to Kirath-Huzoth. And Balak sacrificed oxen and sheep and sent for Balaam and for the princes who were with him. And in the morning, Balak took Balaam and brought him to the to Baranoth Baal. And from there, he saw a fraction of the people. And over the next, next chapter or so, you see Balak taking him to different places and him seeing the people. And in every place, Balaam speaks a blessing. He talks about how great things are going to be for them. 
And you think, okay, Balaam's learned a lesson, and Balak's learned, everybody's learned a lesson here. But it's not true. In Numbers chapter 31, a battle ensues. And they killed the kings of Midian with the rest of their slain, of their slain. Evi, Rechem, Zur, Hur, and Reba, the five kings of Midian. And they also killed Balaam, the son of Beor, with the sword. What had happened in between? In between, Balaam was so intent on getting the blessing from the Moab people and the riches that he told them, listen, if you can get the people of Israel to sin, to turn their back on God, you'll be able to defeat them because God's blessing will withdraw. And they seduced some of the people of Israel, and there was great devastation that came. And it all came because of Balaam not wanting to hear the voice of God, but wanting to hear how to get rich. But hear me, at the end of the day, Balaam didn't get rich. At the end of the day, he was in the enemy camp when the vengeance of God fell upon it. So we've got to be careful what our wanter wants. We've got to be careful what's at the highest priority in our life. We've got to be careful what we wish for and dream for and desire to get and what we begin to manipulate to get into our life. We've got to hear what God says in the first place. Balaam would have been better off to have stayed home. To have heard in the first place and just stayed home. What does the Word of God say to us? Get solid in the Word of God so that the voice of God can be clear to us. Amen? Amen. Let's stand together and let's pray. Father, we are a people who want to hear your voice. That's why we're here tonight. Lord, we don't want to be deceived by the cleverness of men. We don't want to be seduced by the riches of men. We don't want to be caught up in the fame of men or in the charisma of men. We're thankful for great charismatic men who have gifts and talents and, Father, are still humble and righteous before you. Let us never be deceived. Let us hear your voice purely, clearly, based on your word and walk in it. Every day of our life, we pray. Forgive us of our shortcomings and our failings. Forgive us of our failures to hear you. And Father, in the days ahead, as we reflect upon your word, as we build a foundation of your word in our heart, Father, let us be a people of maturity that hear your voice and walk in your truth each day. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Go in the name of the Lord tonight. May his joy be in your heart.